0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Try it one more time. Good morning. Good morning. morning. It's always great to just look up and see the kids head out and to know that the church is filled and they're going to hear God's word preached and taught. Pray that you all are doing well this morning. I pray that you all had a blessed week and it's always great to be back in the house of the Lord, worshiping our God with you guys today. And I just wanted to reassure you guys. I am not going to be teaching out of 20 verses today. I know the last couple times that I was up here, that's what we were doing. But we won't do that today. I I looked, I tried very hard, but we just couldn't make it happen. But we are going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be continuing it in in Mark chapter 6. And looking at really Jesus sending out the 12 disciples who become the apostles. And we see here that he's sending them out on What a lot of commentators are calling either a short-term mission trip or an internship, if you will. That's what they're being sent out to go and do the work of God. And not to get bogged down, it's just that's essentially what's going on. They're going, they're being sent out to do the work of God. And what we'll see here in today's passage is this interesting technique that, that Mark uses that the commentators have called the sandwich technique. That is to say that he's going to start a story, and we'll see it here in verse 7. He starts by sending out the 12 apostles, and then about halfway through that story, he presses pause. He interrupts that story to tell another story, which is the death of John the Baptist. And then when he's done with that story, he kind of completes the sending out the 12 apostles there in, in verse 30. And he's doing this, and they call it the sandwich technique, and it's not the first time that we see Mark use this. We saw actually last chapter in chapter 5 with Jairus' daughter, where he's there telling the story of Jairus' daughter. Then halfway through that story, Mark tells the story of the bleeding woman, only to come back and complete the story of Jairus' daughter. And the question is, why does Mark do this? Why is Mark in the middle of sending out these 12 apostles, stop? To tell the story of John the Baptist and his death and his beheading. What is Mark trying to convey by by using this technique? What does the death of John the Baptist have to do with being sent out, being put on mission for God? And part of that is that we have to be willing. We have to be willing to go at all costs, even if that means life itself. We are to risk it all for the sake of God and his calling, even if that means death. That's kind of the purpose of Mark using the sandwich technique, and we'll see more about that next week as we continue in Mark chapter 6, and we look at the death of John the Baptist, but in the midst of the calling out, in the midst of sending out, he's saying, not only are you going to go out and do my work, but consider the cost that it's going to cost to be sent out on my behalf. And really we see today in today's passage just the next step if you if you will in the training of the apostles. They were drawn to God by the Holy Spirit, right? And then they were called, actually called by Jesus in Mark one, sixty through twenty, where he says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He is finally sending them out to go and do the work, to become fishers of men. This is just a part of their training. He calls them, tells them, I'm going to send you out to be fishers of men. Then he, he selects the 12 who are going to be close to him. We see that in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. And these 12 were, were close to him. They, they were getting intimate training, if you will. They watched him perform the miracles. They heard him preach. They saw him teach. He, they were getting the extra teaching of the parables being explained to them. That was all part of their training, all getting them ready for this point where they are going to be sent out to do the work of God. And that leads me to the big idea. The main idea today is as followers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are sent out and called to depend on Jesus Christ and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in the face of adversity, rejection, and even death. We have to be, as disciples of Christ, willing to, to suffer for the king's sake. Our passage today is in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is in your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. people in need of your mercy and grace every day, Father. We come to you as people broken, people who need you in their life, Father. Lord, we thank you for the breath that you gave us this morning, for the mercies that are in you each and every morning, Father. Lord, we ask that as we spend these next several moments in your word, listening, while hearing it preached, Lord. We pray that it is a time of edification, Lord. We pray that it is a time of of sanctification, Lord, that we are impacted by your word, Father, that it goes into us and it doesn't come back void, Father, and it does the work that you are calling it to do in our lives, Father. Lord, we pray for all the children who are going to be in their children's church, Father, in the lesson, and and as the gospel is preached back there, Father, we pray for their salvation, Father. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather today in your house, in the Lord's house, and sing songs of praise with our brothers and sisters to pray together, to raise our voices together, and to hear your word preached, Father. We pray that it does a work in us today, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be edifying to you and to your congregation. We pray all this in your son's mighty and powerful name. And as people said, amen. Point number one, followers of Jesus Christ are sent out to advance the kingdom. Followers of Jesus Christ are sent out to advance the kingdom. Verse seven, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. We see here the apostles are being sent out. And they have the authority of God given to them by Jesus Christ for unclean spirits. And and they're sent out to advance the kingdom. They are going to go and proclaim the truths of God to the villages, to the towns around them. And just as the apostles are sent out, we also as Followers of Christ are sent out into the world, into our communities, into our jobs to do the work of God, to advance the kingdom. This is most evident seen in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are called to go out. We are sent out to advance the kingdom of God. The apostles were sent out, and so are we. And we see an aspect of their sending out here where they are given authority, and it's important to note that, that not all aspects of the disciples' mission, all, not all aspects of Jesus sending them out applies to us. We understand that the apostles were set apart for a specific purpose. They were given authority to advance the kingdom of God that they were to be called the foundations of the church as Paul says in Ephesians 2:20 and that is their purpose that he they were given to the church for the building up of the body of Christ here it says i give them authority he gave them authority they were given specific authority over the unclean spirits. This is only given really to the apostles. If you were to turn to Luke chapter ten, where Jesus sends out the seventy two other disciples to evangelize to proclaim to advance the kingdom they 're not given the same type of authority here that the apostles are given The, the authority here that 's been given being given to the apostles is jesus own authority the authority that he Functioning as he walked around on this earth, as he went about healing people, as he went about casting out demons. This is the authority that the apostles are given, and they were going out, as if you read all throughout the book of Acts, they are performing miracles. They are healing people. They are casting out demons. All of that, that power and that authority given to the apostles was for the advancement of the kingdom, for that, their message, if you will, to be authenticated, so that people can know that the word they're bringing is the true word of God. R.C. Sproul wrote, writes, That the the fundamental purpose of miracles both in the Old Testament and the New Testament was to authenticate the agents of revelation. That is, so that their words are authenticated, so that people understand that they are really being sent out by the God of the universe. This authority given to the apostles here is commonly referred to as the apostolic authority. And we understand that that is unique to them. That's not necessarily a part of what we are called to do. We're not given that same authority that the apostles are. They are building up, they are going to be the foundations of the church. And we do see people today calling themselves apostles. We understand that this isn't what they mean. Someone is running around calling themselves apostles. Really, that's just cosplay. They're just doing a little role playing. They're not working in the same function here as the apostles here and Mark six, and then when they continue to work out throughout Acts? And like I said, even though not all aspects of their sending out applies to us, we can still glean, we can still learn from what they, what God is doing in sending them out. We can still gather from it. We are still called to go out in the name of the King, in the name of Jesus Christ. We're not given the same apostolic authority, but we are still called to go and proclaim the truths of God to the world. We are as as Paul says in 2nd Corinthians 5.20, ambassadors for Christ. Continues there and he says that God is making his appeal through us. That we are to go out as ambassadors of Christ, as representatives of Christ, and bring the word to people and advance the kingdom of God and save and do the work of God amongst this world. We are called just as the apostles were sent out. So are we. We see here that he sends them out two by two. Why two by two? If the purpose is to... Spread the message further to get more people to hear about the works and about the truths of Jesus. Why not send them out one by one? Why not send out each apostle to a different village? And the reason for it is because it's just obviously safer and wiser to send them out two by two. It was something that was required by the law. If you wanted to confirm a message, if you wanted to Establish a testimony. You need it two witnesses. We see that in Deuteronomy seventeen six. We see it again in nineteen fifteen. Paul even says it in Second Corinthians 13.1. To establish the th- to establish the testimony, to establish the witness, you need two or more witnesses, and that is the purpose for the sending out of two by two. It's also, like I said, safer and wiser. Per- two people are, are aren't as easy of a target for Satan as one. We see also a sense of companionship. We understand that in Ecclesiastes 4.9, it says two are better than one. So that is the purpose, that they are to go out and corroborate each other's messages, to testify on each other's behalf so that people know that their testimonies are real. And we actually we see this model of, of people going out two by two all throughout the scriptures. We see it in the book of Acts. Peter and John go out together. Paul and Barnabas go on their first missionary trip together. And even when they separate over a disagreement, Paul goes with Silas and then Barnabas goes with John Mark. John Mark being the the writer of this gospel. And they go out together. And you see that all throughout the book of Acts. They're going out two by two. We are not to do things on our own. We are to always go out and have the backing of the church. People there praying for us, holding us accountable. We're called to live, in essence, in community. Point number two. Followers of Christ are to depend solely on him. Followers of Christ are only to depend solely on him. Verses 8 and 10. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And He said to them, whenever you enter a house... Stay there until you depart from there. He's sending them out. He's saying, you are going to go out to the towns. You're going to go out to the villages. You're going to walk there. But don't take no food. Don't take no water. Don't take no money. Just take the clothes on your back. Just take the shoes on your feet and take a walking stick. And that's it. And go out and do my work. Proclaim the truth. Advance the kingdom. But only take these things. They aren't even to take food. He's telling them travel light. This, this, this idea for them to travel light speaks to the urgency of their mission. That they are to go out and, and, and proclaim the truth of God to this world. The importance of it. This, this travel lightly, this allows them to move about quicker. You're able to get from one village to the next quicker. You're able to just pick up when your job is done in one town. You're able to just pick up and go and you're not having to be bogged down. Also, this idea of them traveling lightly. This lack of provisions where they're walking and they're going with no food and no water and nothing to keep them warm. It leads, it makes them have to rely, have to depend on God for their every need they have so little so that they have to they have to trust on God for everything for them to really pack up the things and really go the way God says just go leave right now don't take anything with you it requires tremendous faith in God for them to go the way that Jesus is sending them out You have to. He's saying you have to depend on the Father. He's not. They're not even have some something to keep them warm at night. He says, don't take a second tunic. That second tunic it would have been used for if you're traveling at night and you had to stay outside in the wilderness. That second tunic would be to keep you warm. Almost serve as a blanket to keep you warm during those cold nights. But he says, don't even take that. He's calling them to trust to depend on the God of this world, to to provide their needs. We are to live out what Paul says in in Philippians 4.19, that God will supply our every need according to the riches and glory of Jesus Christ. We are to live that out. We are to have faith that no matter what goes on in life, no matter how crazy this world gets, no matter how expensive Gaskets, no matter how expensive food gets, we are to trust in God for our every needs. Jesus fully expects their needs to be met here. He's sending them out with nothing, not because he wants them to suffer, not because he's trying to test them. He's sending them out with nothing because he understands, he knows that their every need will be met by the God of the universe. We see this also in verse 10, where he says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. It's not if you get a chance to stay inside a house. It's not if someone opens the doors for you. It's when, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart. He fully expects people to open their homes. He fully expects them to walk into a town, perform miracles, heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim the truths of, of Jesus, and people will open their homes to them. This was, of course, a common custom. They were huge on hospitality and Jewish culture. We see in Leviticus 1934 that it says, "You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself." This was a part of their customs, a part of the law that as the person, as a stranger, as a sojourner who comes to you, you are to treat them and love them as you love yourself. They are to make provisions every three years. We see this in Deuteronomy fourteen, twenty-eight. that they are to make provisions every three years so that they can be able to feed the sojourner, feed the fatherless, the widow, any of those who are with them. And not just give them food, but feed them until they are filled. It's a part of their customs. And he knows this and he understands this. And this is in how he is sending them out to trust God that their needs will be provided. We don't know. We're not told how the disciples or the apostles responded. We're not told if they truly believed that this was going to happen. I would venture to say that they probably had some doubt I mean, they just experienced Jesus being rejected by his hometown. Just saw him being cast out and sent out from his hometown. And now he's telling them, go. Go to different villages. Go to different towns. Do as I'm doing. And then trust that God will provide for you. He says in verse 10, and you are to stay there until you depart from there. Once you are welcomed, once someone opens up their home for you, you stay in that home the whole time that you're in that town. Don't go looking for a better house don't go looking for better food. Don't go looking for better accommodations. You stay there until your, until your mission is complete there, and then you leave that town. But don't go around when someone offers a better house and going from house to house. Part of the reason for that is people will be offended at that. It would leave a sour taste in people's mouths to just move about. Well, this house has a nice, not better bed. It's bigger they have more food. I'm going to go here. I'm sorry. Thank you for your accommodations, but I'm gone. No, he says stay there. Live with them. Live amongst the people. Do community with them. They are to stay in the house and continue to do work in the town, getting to know people. This call here, too, is to live amongst is to do missionary work amongst people. It's to get to know them, get to know their needs, get to know the things that they're struggling with, and live amongst them. As Daniel Akin says, he's here he's calling the apostles to not be aloof, to live among the people, to be dependent on them, to be accountable, to share life with them, to live in community. He's calling them to show integrity, and to be transparent with those you are living amongst So often we are more concerned. So often we we don't want to do that. We don't want to live in the community. We don't want to live with people who necessarily bother us or leave a sour taste in our mouth. But Jesus here is saying you have to be amongst the people. You stay in their homes. You eat their food. You live life with them. All for the sake of advancing the kingdom. Third point, point number three, followers of Jesus Christ should expect to be rejected. Verse 11, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Once again, notice that this isn't an if. Jesus fully expects them to be rejected. He was just rejected. He's been being rejected by so many people. So he says, when that happens, when you face rejection, because as followers of Christ, you will. As followers of Christ, when you try to proclaim the truth to someone, there are people who will hear you out and people who just want you to be quiet. We, we learned about that and when we looked at the parable of the sowers. People will receive it different. So he's saying if. He's not saying if. He's saying When. The anticipation is that we will experience rejection as followers of Christ. We will face hard times as followers of Christ. But it's not to bog us down. He says, don't let, essentially he's telling them, don't let it bring you down. Don't, don't stay thinking about that. Don't, don't, let it, don't let it hinder your mission. Don't let it hinder your zeal for me, for sending you out. Continue to do the work when we are rejected we are to continue doing the work of Christ we see that all throughout the book of acts all the apostles every time they were physically abused every time they were stoned or persecuted they continued they didn't stop they didn't give up they just went to the next town they just went to the next person do you know about Jesus Christ the lord our lord and savior there is no stopping. We don't stop when we're rejected. We continue moving forward. We also see in our response to rejection here, even in the midst of rejection, we are still called to point people to Christ and how we respond to them. He says, Shake off the dust on your feet as a testimony against them. This was something that was a very common practice in Jewish, at the Jewish time when they were traveling and they would travel through Gentile land and they would come back home. Before they enter Israel, they were instructed to shake off the dust from their feet. This was a way as making sure that they weren't bringing any contamination, if you will, from the pagan world into Israel. It was a a sense of saying, God's judgment, the God of Israel, his judgment has fallen on you. That's what he's calling them to do. It's really, when when you see this happening, it's going to cause those to see this happening, to really start to wonder. This is a last-ditch effort to get them to consider their choice of rejection. We see Paul and Barnabas do this in Acts 13:51 where they're in Antioch of Pisidia and there were seeing gentiles coming to know Jesus Christ and the Jewish leaders at the time get offended they get mad and, and they end up running them out of town. And what we see is Paul and Barnabas as they're leaving says in verse 51 they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. They shook off the dust, they pronounced the judgment of God on them, and they just left. This, uh, this act of shaking off the dust, it's really warning the people of the coming judgment that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, in God, that you will be judged. It's asking them, it's to consider, think, think about what you are doing. Think about what you are rejecting, because judgment will come. Is. Or huge so this is a merciful prophetic act designed to make people think deeply about their spiritual condition when we are rejected we are not called to get angry we are not called to say yeah you are going to hell we, we aren't called to get nasty we are called to just really as a last effort try to make people consider their spiritual condition make one last plea if you will and then go on we are to watch how we act and respond in our rejection because we will be rejected when it comes to this world and bringing the message of Christ. Number four, followers of Jesus Christ are to do work of God and preach the word of God. Followers of Jesus Christ are to do the work of God and preach the word The word of God, verses 12 through 13. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They're going out healing people, casting out demons. They are living amongst the people, meeting their spiritual needs, meeting their physical needs at times. And we are called to do the same. What does it mean to do the work of God? It's to meet people where they're at, to proclaim the truth to them, to care for them, to love for them, to take care for them, and and pray for them and lift them up in their times of need. We are called to do the work of God, meeting people where they're at and meeting their needs. We see this in, in the story of the great Samaritan. We have to ponder to ourselves: Who is our neighbor? As we go into this world, as we live amongst the people, as we go to work, who is our neighbors? Who are those that we should be loving on and caring for and pouring into and making sure that their needs are being met? Jesus, talking about the final judgment in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40, shares a story of the sheep and the goats, where he says, he puts the sheep on the right and the goat on the left, and he says, whenever you gave this person, whenever you gave me food, when I was thirsty, you gave me food, you gave me drink, when I was hungry, you gave me food, when I, when I was naked, you clothed me, when I was homeless, you gave me a home, and they respond, when did we do this? And Jesus' response is, truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. We are to ask, who We are to ponder and ask ourselves, who are the least of these that we are to be reaching out, that we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus doing the work of God. We are to serve our church family this way. We are to serve our community this way. We are to pour ourselves into people, to serve and love them and preach the word to them. They were telling people there, you see this in verse 12, they were, what message were they taking? They were proclaiming that people should repent. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they were telling them. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. We see that John the Baptist preached this. We see Jesus teach this in Matthew 4, 17, telling people to repent, for the kingdom of God is near. This, this idea of calling people to repentance, this isn't a feel-good message. This isn't going to necessarily tickle the ears to call people to repentance. In order to call someone to repentance service, they have to, they have to see their wrongdoing. They have to understand the sin in their life. That's not really the message we feel called to send out to people. We want to give people hope, but we also need to call people to Repentance. What does it mean? What, what does the p- repentance look like? What does it mean to call people to repentance? John Watson, in his book, The Doctrine of Repentance, writes six special ingredients to true repentance as he calls it. So when we call people to repentance, what we're doing, we're, we're asking them to see their sin. He says, sight of sin, sorrow for sin, confession of sin, shame of sin, hatred of sin, and turning from sin. And he says that if any of these is left out, then, then repentance has lost its virtue. So when they're calling people to repentance, they're calling them, they, they're asking them, they're, they're begging with them, see the sin in your life. Understand the wrongdoing that you have in your life. Have sorrow for the sin in your life. Confess it to God. Feel the shame from it. Hate the sin in your life and turn from it and turn to God that's the message that they're heralding out there when they proclaim that people should repent that's the message that we are to take to people we are to point them to the cross but we can't do that if they aren't starting to understand the weight of their sin if they aren't starting to see just how far and separated they are from God We are to do the work of God. We are to take the message of God to people, calling them to repent and turn to God. That is the message there. That is the message that we are to take out. That is how they are being sent out, and that is how we are being sent out as well, to proclaim that people should repent. In closing, I'd like to just take some time and, and talk to the non-believer who may be listening or who may be here. As I just finished talking about repentance, this idea, I, need you, I want you to understand that, that there is not one innocent person on this world. You may be walking about. You may feel like you are a good person. You may think that I don't do anything bad. I'm innocent. Why am I being judged? And honestly, the truth is, in the history of this world, the billions and billions of people who have walked this earth, there's only been one innocent person. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else. You may feel innocent. You may think you're good off. You may feel like you're a good person, but we understand that there is no one who is good. Jesus, when he's called good, in, my, in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, replies, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. understand this we as people we are sinful people each and every one of us in here we understand that that sin in Romans 5:12 that Paul says sin came into this world through one man that is through Adam and so death so sin spread to all men so we are all sinful No matter how good you may feel, no matter that you may be comparing yourself to the person next to you, no matter what the good you've done, we all still have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And because of that, we deserve death. That. That is our our rightful punishment as sinners, as people who fall short of the glory of God. Our rightful punishment is death, is everlasting separation from the God of the universe. That is our rightful place. But we understand that God extends grace to mankind through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 1.7, In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We deserve death. We deserve to be cast into hell for all of eternity. But because of what Christ has done, because of his life, his death and his resurrection, we are forgiven of our trespasses according to God's grace over our life. And so we deserve death, but God doesn't give us death. He instead sends his son to die in this world so that all who believe in him will have everlasting life. And so we are to repent. We are to turn from our sin, repent from it, and turn to God. We are to put our faith and trust in God. And if you do that, you repent. If you see your sin, if you feel the weight of your sin, if you're sickened by your sin, you turn to God. You put your trust in Jesus Christ as the only means that we can earn forgiveness and be redeemed and be reconciled to the Lord of this word. If you put your faith and trust in the works of Christ, you will have forgiveness peace with the everlasting, all-powerful, all-loving God of this universe. But you have to first turn and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do that, you will have peace with God today. And for the church, for you guys, one question. What qualified the apostles to be sent out we see here that Jesus sends them out. And why does he send them out? What did they do? What did, are they scholars? Are, are, are they powerful people? Are they rich? No, none of that. Simply put, the reason they were sent out is because they were willing to follow Jesus. They were willing to go. And be with him. They answered the call. They were willing, in essence, to associate themselves with Jesus. And that is it. They're, these aren't the who's who's of society. As a matter of fact, one of them was a the tax collector. They weren't perfect people, they didn't have it figured out. They were flawed, they were weak, they made mistakes. They didn't fully understand. Even though they they were with Jesus, they walked with Jesus, they see Jesus perform miracles time after time again, they still struggled to believe at times. They still didn't fully comprehend. We see in Mark chapter 8, Jesus had just finished feeding the 4,000 people. He literally takes seven loaves of bread and a few fish, and he feeds 4,000 people. And we're told that the disciples forget to take some food with them on the boat and they start to wonder well, well what's going to happen we don't have food how are we going to eat and Jesus responds to them do you not yet understand these were flawed men that even though they just experienced Jesus feeding 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and just a couple of fish they are still doubting that the God of the universe can provide for them. They were flawed individuals, but yet they were sent out no matter what because their willingness to associate themselves with God because that's what is a follower of Christ does. They are sent out. These are the men that God will use to grow the church exponentially. He works through the apostles to build the kingdom up. And so, we don't need to be scholars. We don't need to be, we don't need to have it all together to be sent out to do the work of God. So, my question to you, church, is how are you helping? How are you helping in building up the kingdom of God today? What are you doing for the advancement of God's kingdom? Are you using your gifts? Are you using your talents? Are you using the things that God has given you to build up his kingdom, to do the work of God in your church, in your community, in your jobs? What are you doing to further the kingdom of God? Are you using it for your own selfish gain? Or are you holding the kingdom of God? Are you taking it forth? Are you building up the kingdom? Are you using the gifts that God has given you? Are you using the talents, the abilities that God has given you? And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your abilities. That's what I'm talking about in terms of advancing the kingdom of God. Are you pouring yourself into the church? Are you pouring yourself into the body? Are you meeting one each other's needs that's the work of God. That's advancing the kingdom. It's not necessarily the person who's teaching in children's church or who's teaching Bible study. It's the person who sees the need and gets that need met. The person who notices when someone is gone on a Sunday and reaches out to check in on them. Do you know our shut-ins here at the church? Have you reached out, just sent the text of encouragement? Are you pouring yourself into the church body be honest it's our hope it's our prayer here as the leaders at faith bible fellowship church that if you are a member here you are serving at least one sunday a month in any capacity it doesn't matter but that you are you are giving yourself to the church body you're giving yourself to one another that when you hear of something your first thought is how can i meet that need You are given a unique gift. You are given a unique talent. And whether you realize it or not, ask one of your dear friends. What is my gift? They will tell you. Ask me or Pastor West and we'll tell you what your gift is. You may feel like you don't have a gift, but you can pour in to this church body. You can pour in and serve by building up the kingdom of God here and in the community and in your work and in your families those who don't know, you can bring the word to them, you can live a life that points people back to Jesus Christ. Peter says in first Peter four, eight through ten, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Are you using your gift for the building up of the body of Christ today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the grace in our lives, Father. Oftentimes we we don't really consider the gospel. We sometimes have come so accustomed to it that we don't truly grasp it, Father. We are flawed individuals, who are filled with your mercy and grace. And that is the only reason that we can sit here today and sing songs to you and hear your word preached is because of the mercy and grace in our lives. Father, let us... Know the areas where we are falling short. If we're not pouring into your body, if, if we're not advancing the kingdom, Father, let us know, convict us of that, Father, and show us the ways that you are given, that you have given to us to advance that kingdom. May we be willing to answer the call to advance the kingdom of God in this world. Give us the wisdom and strength to live lives that is on fire for you, Lord. We pray all this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen.